chapter 17 tonight, church. Luke chapter 17. Amen. Appreciate any time I get a chance to come and, and preach and pastor lets me. And y'all, I told him, I said, you better tell them you're going to slip out the back midway through or they'll think you can't take preaching. <laughs> but no, I'm so thankful for our pastor. I'm thankful for the message we had this morning. Uh, tonight, I want to look at a familiar passage of scripture and learn some things from a leper. Um, you wouldn't think you may be able to learn something from somebody that had leprosy and that was an outcast, but God specializes in using the least down here on earth over and over again all through Scripture. You see God using those who had everybody else had passed over, everybody else had walked by, everybody else had thought they were worthless and useless, but Jesus does not operate that way. And I thank God that he did not come for the elite, the rich, uh, the woke, the, uh, the ones that know it all and have it all figured out. But he came for people like me, people with sin problems, people that were down, defeated, people that weren't uh, necessarily have it all together. He uses the least of these. So uh, not all of us were found in these kinds of places, but we have a lot to learn from those who were. Tonight we're going to be in Luke chapter 17. When you find verse 11, stand with us and we'll read these verses together. Luke 17, verse 11 says, And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering and said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? There are not found returned to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise. Go thy way, thy faith had made thee whole. Father, thank you so much for this thy word. God, I pray that it's a blessing to this thy people. God, I pray that you get me out of your way tonight, that you fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to say the things you would have me to say. Hold my tongue on the things you would have me not to say. God, I pray that you would speak to this your church in only a way that you know how. Speak to each and every heart. Encourage those that need encourage. Convict those that need convicted. God, show grace, love, and mercy to those that need grace, love, and mercy. God, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. Some things I want to point out as by way of introduction about the ten of these guys. You have the, these ten lepers, and I want to point out some things that reference all ten tonight. Number one, their position. Look at with me at verse number 12. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men, which were lepers, which stood afar off. Their position tonight was afar off. That means that they were separated from where everybody else was and where Jesus was. Contextually, we know that leprosy was an incurable, terminal, vile, wicked disease that was incredibly 
in, contagious. It was incredibly uh, dangerous. It was something that you could see from very far away. Somebody that had been infected a long time for, with leprosy would have deformities, would have parts of their flesh rotting away. It was simply that your body begins to rot uh, from the outside in and you basically outlive your flesh and, and, and essentially you suffer and you die. And, and at this time and in this day and age, there was no cure for this disease. So young people, what they would do is they would take all these lepers, all these people with this disease, and they would segregate them. They would push them out into what we would know as leper colonies. There would be whole groups of these people that had contracted this disease, and they were just simply sent away to die. They were doomed. They were completely and totally separated, sick, terminal, and highly contagious. And we know that leprosy was something that ran rampant. It was, in a, it was in every city. It was something that nobody had a solution to. And contextually, we know that these men, that's why they were afar off, that they could not physically come any closer or they would have been shunned. They could have been stoned. They could have been killed at a distance for simply even trying to come in close to where Jesus was, close to where any unclean people were, and or clean people were. And it would not have been good for them to try to get any closer. Now, in our text, culturally, no one would have gotten anywhere near them, let alone gave them any attention. They were totally separated from any comfort, from any family, from any physician. And even if they tried, they would be immediately shunned. They would be immediately cast out. This disease of leprosy brought amongst them complete and total separation. You and I have something very simpler, at least we did when we were born. It was called sin. And you and I, just like these lepers, were completely and totally terminal. We were completely and totally hopeless. We were completely and totally lost, separated from a righteous and holy God. Here we are looking at ten lepers, but I may I submit that you and I, the day we were born by birth and by choice, we came into this world completely and totally separated from a holy and righteous God. People like you, people like me, we were once afar off. We were once in a place where we had no hope of gaining access to all the things of God and all the blessings of God and all the purposes of God. And here we have these lepers completely and totally separated from the ministry of Jesus Christ. But something happens that they, are, that they do and that Jesus does that's going to change their lives forever. How many of you remember the day when you were afar off, when you were completely and totally separated. You had no interest in the things of God. You were separated from God, but you knew you had a problem. You knew you had a sin problem. You knew no matter how many times you tried to turn over a new leaf, it wouldn't work. You knew how, no matter how many times you tried to fix your attitude or fix your relationships or fix the problems that you had in your life, it wasn't going to work. But the day that you met Jesus, the day that you called on him, not only their position, but their plea. Verse number 13, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. It was a divine plea. They knew his name. They had no doubt heard of him curing other lepers in the way. They had no doubt hearing of all the miracles that he had done up to that point. They had no doubt heard and they could not have seen with their eyes because they couldn't get much closer. But no doubt rumors had spread to all the downtrodden, to all those who were separated, to all those who had this incurable disease. No doubt they had begun to hear rumors of this Jesus, this one that could solve any problem that you 
you had. This one that could cure any disease that you had. This one that could bring you hope. This one that could bring you life. No doubt they had heard that name. No doubt in those leper colonies they had prayed for that man, that name. If we could just get a hold of Jesus. If Jesus would just come by our way. If Jesus would just do this or do that. We could make this work out. We could call on him and maybe he would have mercy on us. Well here they have their chance. The Bible says they see Jesus afar off and they cry out Lord. They cry out Jesus Master. They not only knew his name but they knew he wasn't just somebody. They knew he wasn't just some man. They knew he wasn't just some person that was claiming to do this or claiming to do this. The word master there is translated as a respectful term. They were calling him. Luke uses the same word and it translates to rabbi several times in the book of Luke. And he, they're calling him a man of God. They're calling him a man that God is with, that God is blessing. No doubt in this day, there would be many witch doctors. There would be many uh, snake oil salesmen, if you will, that would tell, try to come by and tell these lepers, if you'll put this on your sores, you'll be healed. If you'll do this with your sores, you'll be healed. If you'll just pour your problem into a bottle, if you'll just take a pill, it'll get rid of your problem. If, it'll just, if you'll just try this, it'll get rid of your problem. If you'll start hanging around with this crowd, it'll take care of your problem. If you'll start doing this religious law and making these sacrifices and doing these things, it'll take care of your problem. No doubt these men had tried everything, but here they see Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Enter into the minds of those lepers for just a moment. For some of them, the greatest mercy with the amount of pain and suffering they were experiencing may have even been death. For some of those, the greatest mercy could have been complete and total hearing, but healing, but we don't know. We were not in their minds. We're not in their hearts. All we know is what's in our text. And it was a desperate plea. They knew they could not mince words. They knew they could not play games. I don't like it when people say, try Jesus. Give him a try. Test him out. Test drive church for a little while. Now, I'm not putting any limitations on God. I know if somebody walks in here one time, sometimes that's all it takes. God can get a hold of them in that one time of walking in those doors, just like he can get a hold of somebody that's walked in those doors a thousand times, but they're lost. I'm not putting limits on God, but what I do know is that these men, they weren't crying out to give Jesus a shot. They weren't trying, calling out and saying, hey, Jesus, how you doing? How's the weather? They weren't calling out and saying, hey, Jesus, what's going on? What are you doing? What are your political views? What do you think about Rome? What what do you think about the Pharisees? What do you think about the Sadducees? They called out to Jesus and they said, have mercy, have mercy. When you and I were lost, when you and I were separated, when you and I were far off, the first prayer Jesus heard of yours and heard of mine was not fix this problem or fix that problem. It was not help this president or help this president. It was not help this or help that or change this circumstance or change that circumstance. It was Lord, have mercy on me. Save me. He cries out, Lord, have mercy on me, they cried. And not only their position, their plea, but look at their picture here. Look at these ten men. Completely, or ten lepers. The Bible doesn't necessarily say they were all men. But these ten lepers, they're completely separated. They're completely hopeless. They're completely doomed. And now they've poured their plea just as I am, without one, they've poured themselves and said, Lord, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And this is where sometimes we get it confused. 
Because there's some of us that think when God found us that, and we found God that he got the better end of the deal. That Jesus was so glad when he got to, when he was so blessed but because he got to find me or because I found him. There's a lot of people that say, I found Jesus, I found Jesus, I found Jesus. Yes, darling, you did. Yes, sir, you did. But you didn't find Jesus because before the foundation of the world, you started looking for him. You found Jesus because before the foundation of the world, he started looking for you. He set a plan in motion to save you. He set a plan in motion to save them. He set a plan in motion to save me. You didn't find Jesus. Jesus found you. And here they find, they see Jesus and from afar off they say Lord have mercy on us but guess what happens in order for their plea to be heard in order for their plea to have any uh, grounds or gravity to make any difference in the world they can yell that they can call that they can beg for mercy they can plea but it took something happening in the mind of Christ to make a difference Jesus saw them verse 14 and when he saw them and when he saw them, you remember the day Jesus saw you? You remember the day when he saw you? With your sickness, with your separation, with your sincerity. What's he say? Go, show yourselves to the priests. He's quoting Leviticus 13 and 14 here. A leper had to go according to Levitical law. You can look this up and do your homework. Leviticus 13 said everything that they had to do to be pronounced a leper to confirm that they had leprosy. And then Leviticus 14 went through all the sacrifices and rituals that they had to do to be pronounced that they were healed from leprosy. And if you were supposedly healed from leprosy, you had to go before a priest and you had to perform these sacrifices. And a priest was the only one that could deem you clean. So... They say, Lord, have mercy on us. And he gives them a text from the word of God and say, go show yourself to the priests. Don't miss this. It's the same thing that we're given today in this dispensation. Faith and obedience to the literal words of God produces the change. Watch what these lepers do. Verse number 15 or excuse me, in 14. And when he saw them, he said unto them, go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Faith and obedience to the word of God is what changed these 10 lepers. How many were cleansed? 10. And this word cleansed here is one of Pastor Dan's favorite words he likes to teach us in John's 1, 9. It's that word, uh, <clears throat> let me try to pronounce it here, catharizo. It's the word we get our catheter from where you, as Brother Dan would say, you stick it in and all the gut comes out. This word here for cleansed is talking about the moment they acted in faith and obedience to the word of God, their Bibles, what Jesus told them to do. Jesus calls them, Jesus commissions them, and he says, if you want to be cleansed, go show yourselves unto the priest. And as they went cleansed. All the gut came out. All the leprosy left their body. All of a sudden, in a moment, as they were obedient to the word of God, ten men were completely and totally healed from this debilitating disease of leprosy. This is where I'd like to shift our focus and not look at the whole ten, but let's look at this one. Because in verse 18, Jesus makes a great point. There are not found that return to give glory to God save this Stranger. There's a lot of the nine 
floating around in our churches all over the area. People that have been cleansed. But that's where their journey with God ends. They, they're in pews all over the place. We don't have much to learn from those nine. As a saved child of God, we did the same thing they did. We acted in obedience and faith to the word of the living God, and we were cleansed. But these nine that we don't hear anything else about, that's where their journey with God stopped. What we do have to learn from is the one. So tonight I want to look at three things that the one did. Number one, his posture. His posture. Look at verse 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. Now, what did he tell them to do? Where were they going? Go to the priest. They were going to do the religious thing. They were going to join the church rolls. They were going to get their church membership card. They was going to go get baptized. They was going to go find them a pew, label their name on it, and be religious for the rest of their days. They would have got there, and what would have the priest said? You're clean. And they would have been there in that synagogue. They would have started looking around. They would have made friends there in that synagogue. They would have said, oh, Pharisee so-and-so and Pharisee Joe and Pharisee Frank, they read the Torah. This is great. I'm healed. But one, what did his posture do? Turn back. I got in big trouble for preaching this at Bible college. But what did he turn his back on? The world, religion, the priest, the Pharisees, the law, and what he turned his face towards? Jesus. And just a few words. Just stick with him. Just stick with him. The first thing we have to glean from this young man is his posture. His back was now towards religion. His face was now towards Jesus. He said, I know what Leviticus says. I know what the Bible teaches, but I just met the man who wrote it. Young Christian, I know what the Bible says. I know what Leviticus says. I know that in the law that I have to go see these priests and I have to go through all these rituals and I have to go. But hey, I just met the author. I just met the I am of the Old Testament. I just met the one who before the foundation of the world know, knew my name wrote my name down in the Lamb's book of life when I acted in obedience and faith to him. I just met him. Yes, those priests have a lot to teach. Yes, those churches have a lot to teach. Yes, but I'm going to stick with Jesus. I'm going to go back to where he is. If you're walking and you're talking with Jesus, he's going to have you in the church where you're supposed to be in because he's going to be there. A lot of young Christians get confused and they get saved and they say, now I have to find a church that works for me and feeds me. And they try this one 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 because they're not concerned in looking for Jesus. They're concerned in looking for what's going to make them happy. But here we have a young man who's healed of his leprosy and he's going to say, none of those priests did that. I'm not even there yet. I'm not even close to the synagogue. I haven't even been examined. I haven't made a sacrifice. I've done nothing. He's done everything. I'm going back to where he is. I'm not going anywhere unless he goes there. I'm not doing anything unless he does it. I'm not worshiping anywhere unless he's worshiping there. I'm not going to a church unless Jesus is there. Young Christian, somebody who's been cleansed, somebody who's been cared for, somebody who's been saved, just stick with Jesus. Stay where he 
is in your Bible reading, in your prayer. Find Jesus on every page. Find Jesus in every book. Find Jesus in every chapter. Find Jesus in every day of your aspect of life. When you walk into a building, don't bring them politics. Don't bring them procedures. Don't bring them publications. Bring them Jesus. He turns his back on religion. Turns his face towards Jesus. And he starts the relationship right there with that decision. But with a loud voice, he glorified God. What are we learning from him? He turns his face towards Jesus, turned back, and with a loud voice in verse 15, the latter part, glorified God. Before, he was saying, help me, Lord, have mercy on me. Now he's saying, praise you. Praise you. I'm going to glorify you. It's all about you. You are the one who deserves all honor, all glory, and all praise forever and forever and forever. This word here uh, in <clears throat> uh, verse number, um, let me find it again, fell down giving him, th- uh, turned back and was glorified. Okay. God and fell down on his face and at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And then you look back down in verse number 18. There are not found that return to give God glory. That word glory there is the word doxos where we get our song uh, dox- doxology from. That is the simple embodiment of doing everything you can to glorify God. His voice was that of praise. His voice was that of worship. His voice was something that could not be silenced forevermore. He was praising God. God. Well, Brother Bryce, I'm just not a loud, emotional person. What about when them babies are on the ball field? Sit in church? Hmm. Hmm. Let them babies hit a home run. Let them grandbabies, let them kids hit a home run. You're a loud, emotional person. The problem there is your priority. That, that home run don't do nothing for your eternity. Jesus did everything for your eternity. Well, Brother Bryce, preacher, preacher, I'm a well-respected elder of the church. What would they think about me if I just, every, every time the preacher said something that made sense or the, God, the, the word hit me, I just said, Glory! What would people think about me? I, I, I have to have a certain amount of posterity and respect. I have to be dignified. Let Alabama score a touchdown. And every bit of that dignity goes right out the window. Let a ref make a bad call. I've seen Christians matter at referees than they've ever been mad at the devil. This guy got something. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to get in trouble. Pastor Bryce, I'm just, I'm just a little lady. I can't get very loud. My shout ain't. Let's talk about Black Friday. <laughs> you'll get up early. You'll drink four cups of coffee. I just can't make it to Sunday school. It's just so early. Let Hamrick's run an ad. Y'all be there. You open yet? You open yet? 
The ad says you open at 9 o'clock. It's 9.30, baby. Where y'all at? We got to get in there and get these deals. Somebody says, come to Sunday school. Oh, I got, I got to get my rest. We can learn from this leper. His posture. He fell down on his face. This guy gets it. As Pastor Dan preached this morning, God will bring you to your knees at some point in your life. And it's better to just do it when you want to rather than when you have to. Amen. But here we find this man on his face. Totally prostrate. Complete and total humility before a righteous Savior. His praise was that of gratitude. Look at verse 16. And fell down on his face, giving him thanks. You know what that word thanks means? Thanks. No, it's not November yet. But this attitude of gratitude was the embodiment of of what he was trying to portray to Jesus there. And gratitude overshadowed his past. As he was laying there prostrate, giving Jesus thanks, Jesus is not seen in our text saying, now you need to quit hanging around in these neighborhoods where leprosy is at, and you need to quit running with this crowd, and you need to quit doing that, and you need to quit doing that. Jesus probably couldn't have got a word in because this man's, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, I was hopeless. Thank you, I was a drunk. Thank you, I was an addict. Thank you, I was lost. Thank you, I was a lost church member. Thank you, I was just religious. Thank you, I was just this person or I was just that person. I was separated from you, but now you've saved me. Now you've changed me. Gratitude overshadowed, washed away anything that could be brought up with his past was his gratitude. We know God casts our sin as far as the east is from the west and he remembers it no more. But the devil loves to remind us of it. God may forget your past, but the devil don't. He likes to bring it up. You know how to defeat that? Gratitude. The moment he puts that in your ear of the things you've done, the things you've said, Thank God you don't have to say it anymore. Thank God you don't have to do it anymore. Gratitude will overshadow your past. Gratitude will drown out that devil. Gratitude overshadowed his pride. He was a Samaritan, the verse says. As they passed between Samaria and Galilee, they're walking the line on the railroad tracks. And on this side of the tracks, you got the Galilee. You got the Jews. You got God's people. You got the high and the mighty. You got the holy rollers. You got the ones keeping the law. But on that side of the tracks, you got Samaria. You got those people, as Pastor talked about this morning, that other race, that, that one that they don't do things the way we do them, and they worship different than us, and they talk different than us, and they, they serve other things, they prioritize other things. And here Jesus is walking down the tracks between Galilee and between Samaria, and here we have a man of Samaria who for generations, the people from that side of the tracks, Jesus' people, the Jews, have hated him, have been racist towards him, have despised him, have called him dog, have called him slurs. Even before he had leprosy, generations had gone by of the Jews hating Samaritans and of Samaritans hating the Jews. Years of racial, racial tension, years of hate, years of racism, years of pain, years of plain old pride are now on his face before Jesus. You know what can get rid of your pride? Gratitude. 
Because when you start getting the thought in your mind that anything that you have is because of you, you're about to trip and fall flat on your face. God gives you every breath you breathe. Well, I work hard, brother. I work a job. I've worked a job for 30 years. I've done this. I've done that. I this. I that. I ain't standing in front of you because you're about to fall down. Who gave you those legs? Who gave you those arms? Who gave you the body to use to take care of your family? Who gave you the mind that's in the right mind? Who gave you the network of friends and fellowship that you have? Who gave you that mama? Who gave you that daddy? You want to get over your pride before you start complaining about how your mama does something or how your daddy does something? Realize that there's people out there that ain't got no mama, that ain't got no daddy, that would pray every night before they go to bed just to have their mama back, just to have their daddy back, but you're going to lie. You're going to get an attitude. You're going to roll your eyes when they tell you to clean your room or you're going to roll your eyes when they tell you to clean up your dirty clothes. There's kids praying for what you've got. Complain about your boss and how you know more than he does or she does and how you should be the boss and they should be the employee. There's people praying for that job you've got. Close your mouth. Thank God that you've got a job. His gratitude overshadowed his pride. Lastly, his gratitude overshadowed his pals. Where are the nine? Where are the nine? What was the difference between the one and the nine? Gratitude. So we let off our message and we said, there's plenty of nines out there all over the place. That they get saved, they dust off a spot on a pew, and they plant their blessed assurance there and never move again. Never do nothing for God, never want to serve God. Never, you know why? They're not thankful. It's plain old. They're not thankful. Lastly, and I'm done, we, we saw his posture. We saw his praise. And lastly, let's look at his promise. This is why I'm so thankful God sent Pastor Dan into my life because he taught me how to do word studies and how to pull this stuff out. Look with me at verse number 19. Or excuse me, verse number 14. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go and show yourself unto the priests. And it came to pass, as they went, they were cleansed. So we have ten cleansed here. And that word cleansed is that word catheter. We've already covered that. But there's a different word used for this one. Look at verse 19. When he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee what? Whole. Whole. Ten men were cleansed. One gave God glory. That word doxa, where we get our song doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. One was made whole. Whole, the word sozo, means saved, delivered, made complete, made fulfilled, made overflowing. There's a difference than just being cleansed. There's a difference than just being saved by the skin of your teeth, calling out on the name of Jesus. He saved you just the same. He wrote your name down in the Lamb's Book of Life. You're going to heaven when you die. But when you get there, you're going to be the ones that are going to be standing among thousands with no crowns to throw at his feet. You're not going to be the ones that hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You're not going to be the ones that is whole. You know the difference? You know the difference between somebody who's just cleansed, they just had a bath, and the blood sprinkled concourse of Calvary. They had that bath. 
They were washed in the blood. Then you know there's a whole difference between somebody who's whole, wanting nothing, needing nothing. You know who those Christians are. They're the ones that are encouraging you. They're the ones that are encouraging others around them. They're the ones singing in the choir. They're the ones serving on the bus. They're the ones teaching the gospel to little kids. They're the ones running the food pantry. They're the ones running the buses. They're the ones going to the schools. They're the ones telling their neighbors. They're the ones telling their friends. They're the ones telling their family. Let me tell you about a man who cleaned me up and made me whole. I'm thankful to him. I'm grateful for him. I worship him night and day. I praise him night and day. Let me tell you about Jesus. This man that has touched me, this man that has changed me, that's somebody who is whole. And Jesus says, Arise, thy faith hath made thee whole. Hath made thee. That's in the perfect tense. The English teachers I ever had would be so proud of me. That means it was something that happened in the past, but it has continuing effects for an indefinite amount of time. That means man, Jesus said, you're not only whole now, but you're always going to be whole because of your faith. Because of your faith. So I want to ask you this question. Are you one of the nine? You're clean. I know who I'm preaching to tonight. I'm preaching to Anchor Hope Baptist Church. We got some saved folks in here. I see your fruits. I see your stewards. I see your faithfulness. But are you just, you're just clean? And praise God, some of us, we needed it. But are you whole? Are you one of the one? Are you the one praising God when you know you're supposed to be praising God? Are you the one serving God when you know you're supposed to be serving God? Are you the one telling others about God when you know you're supposed to be telling others about God? Could the difference be between somebody who's just clean and somebody who's whole really be as simple as this right here, verse 18. There are not found that return to give God glory to God, save this stranger. Could the difference between being one of the nine and the one be saying thank you? Be truly living like you're grateful for what God did for you? When he died for you on Calvary, when he saw you afar off, when he saw you in your lost estate, when he saw you separated from a holy and righteous God and stood there and extended his hand of grace, love, and mercy to you, picked you up out of the miry clay, set your feet on a solid rock, thrusted you out into the world to be salt and light to a lost and dying generation. Could it be the difference between being the one or being the nine is just simply saying thank you? Miss Joy will come help me. Preacher I follow gave this illustration and he said that he went to a church as a young boy. And he said he was a little fella, but he never understood it. There was a little widow lady in the church. And she had outlived all her kids. She had outlived her sweet husband. She's all by herself. She got her little social security check and made sure all her bills were paid. She even had a couple little boys from the church that come over and do yard work for her. And this lady just, the, the preacher said, as a little boy, you could just see she didn't have nothing. She had two dresses. She'd alternate them Sunday to Sunday. And she didn't have nothing. She didn't have anybody. She didn't 
have family that would come over at holidays. Bless God, the godly deacons in the church would take care of her needs when things would pop up. But he says, as a little boy, he remembers her coming to the altar. And she just started weeping. And she just started crying. And she got up and the preacher asked her to say a word. And she began to sing. As the world looks upon me as I struggle along. They say I have nothing, but they are so wrong. In my heart, I'm rejoicing how I wish they could see. When was the last time you told God, thank you for that wife? Thank you for that husband. Thank you for those kids. Thank you for that job. Thank you for saving your ever-dying soul. So we sing the second verse. We need to do business with God. Standing all over the house, singing all over the house. Let's sing. There's a roof up above me. there for a moment the preacher just broken comes down to the altar with her and just wraps her arm around her and says you know you love we love you and we're here for you and she said no I'm here for y'all she said preacher you're not listening to the song I've got it all in my loneliness in the quietness of my home I have Jesus and I can fall on my face, preacher, anytime and be in his presence. And she sang that second verse. And y'all help me sing it. Praise God tonight. Well, I know.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for all your many blessings on this thy people and your church. God, I remember standing here when there was about 30 terrified, scared people in the wake of COVID-19. And God, how you've blessed this church and grown this church and honored their faithfulness. God, I pray that as your church, as your Christians, Father, that we be salt and light. And let us not go a day without saying thank you. Let us be like that one who returned to give God glory and give God praise and give God thanks. We ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Y'all be dismissed.